When your path to business growth gets rocky, AdRoll makes digital marketing a walk in the park. Work directly with advertising experts at AdRoll to launch cross-channel campaigns that deliver efficient ROI. Sign up at AdRoll.com slash ROI. Welcome to Pod Save America. I'm John Favreau. I'm John Lovett. I'm Tommy Vitor. This is a special uh, President's Day weekend episode. That's what we're calling it. Elizabeth Warren stopped by the studio on Thursday. She and I had a great conversation about 2024, Biden, the mess in Congress, the State of the Union, Gaza, legal weed, and most importantly, who she'd choose as part of her dream blunt rotation. Nice. Nice. How'd that go? I tried to do nightmare blunt rotation and she, she, was, uh, like, no. she was not having it. No nope. big structural getaway from me. Though when I said the name Jamie Diamond on the list, she actually physically winced. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that was cool. She's cool though. Bruce was here, I believe. Bruce was here in studio. I missed all this. It was you missed every yeah. I was a lovely Emily, it. Teddy, and Charlie were here. We had a whole fun, uh, fun. must be nice. Late night Thursday. Running around. Yeah. Okay, we had some big news. We're recording this on Friday. And uh, since you're not going to hear another episode from us until Wednesday, we have to cover some of the big news that just happened today. Let's cover it. First of all, Donald Trump's been found liable for fraud, ordered to pay $350 million, and he has been barred from doing business in New York for three years, along with his two adult sons. He can appeal this, but he still has to come up with the money. Uh, within the next 30 days or a bond or secure a bond. Uh, this is, of course, on top of the $83 million he owes to E. Jean Carroll. He owes $443 million altogether. Donald Trump. It's gonna be a, uh, there's going to be a President's Day sale at Trump Tower. You know what I mean? Let's give her to say some gold toilets. Gonna, this is bad for him. He's going to dip his hand right into the RNC coffers, pull out some cash and keep it. Here's what uh, Judge uh, Angoran said in his ruling... This is, of course, by the way, the uh, this is the New York case. Letitia James, the New York Attorney General, brought it against Trump and the Trump Organization for committing business fraud, for manipulating the value of their assets. <laughs> the English poet Alexander Pope first declared, <laughs> Come on. to err is human, to forgive is divine. Yes. Defendants apparently are of a different mind. Does that <laughs> rhyme? Uh, after some four years of investigation <sighs> and litigation, the only error that they acknowledge is the tripling of the size of the Trump Tower penthouse, which cannot be gainsaid. Their complete lack of contrition and remorse borders on pathological. Nice. They are accused only of inflating asset values to make more money. The documents prove this over and over again. This is a venial sin, not a mortal sin. Defendants did not commit murder or arson. They did not rob a bank at gunpoint. Donald Trump is not Bernard Madoff. Yet, Defendants are incapable of admitting the error of their ways. Instead, they adopt a see no evil, hear no evil, speak no evil posture that the evidence belies. Now, now there are people out there, including some producers of this very podcast, saying that this is a bit overwritten. Mm. And I say no. It's a 92-page ruling? I say swing for the fences, Engoran. This, you, this is your moment. You sing. You sing beautifully. One other detail I thought was interesting in here. Webster's defines fraud. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The judge said there's substantial evidence that Alan Weisselberg's $2 million separation agreement was negotiated to compensate him for his continued non-cooperation with any entities with any legal interests adverse to defendants. So they paid Weisselberg off to to prevent him from cooperating. It's just so, uh, it's such a fucking mob. Same playbook. Pay for your lawyer. I've I've said that is my my position is that Donald Trump would rather go to jail for a year than run out of money. Well, and that continues to be my position. People were estimating uh, when the Eugene Carroll verdict came out that uh, his liquid assets are in the range of five to six hundred million dollars. So four hundred and forty million dollars that he's going to at least even even if he wins on appeal. He has to pony that up in the next 30 days. That's not that's uh, so much money. That's a lot of money. My God. That's a, hey, and I think that's we more all money, agree that's, that's a lot that's of a, money. That's a lot more money than he spent on his entire uh, 2016 presidential campaign. Poof. <laughs> yeah, and, I, and, I, and you know what? He has expenses. Mm. Legal fees for the other 91 felony counts that he is going to be... Uh, uh, litigating over the next uh his monthly nut must be fucking bananas <laughs> and <laughs> just saying don jr and eric each have to pay four million dollars each too and weisselberg a million too yeah Man. yeah bringing yeah. a lot of expenses uh, gonna like affect the cocaine economy yeah <laughs> Tr- trump's not happy 
uh, about this ruling. He put out a statement uh, calling Tish James racist. I helped New York City during its worst of times. And now, while it is overrun with violent Biden migrant crime, the radicals are doing all they can to kick me out. (laughs) Not happy. Not happy. He already left. He already changed his residency to Florida. I know. I know. So. Anyway, so that's uh, so that's tough for Trump. And then uh, Supreme Court saying next Wednesday they could have some uh, some opinions. Perhaps. Let's go. Hurry up. Let's go. So uh, yeah, we'll see. We'll we, talk, see. we talked to you know what, uh, my my uh, Valentine's Day pal Chris Christie was saying that he did not believe the Supreme Court was going to delay mm. the trials. The trials would happen. I'm I'm with Chris he, as I am with was, everything else. And he was a prosecutor. Yeah, you know, a tough one. So the New York Times also reports that Trump has been telling advisors. He likes the idea of a 16-week national abortion ban because it's an even number. That can't be. Well, of course it's real. That's that's what he's been telling advisors. So he wants uh, 16 weeks. He wants exceptions for rape, incest, and the life of the mother. We, of course, know from experience in Texas that uh, even the exception life of the mother does not ensure that women who uh, are facing a life-threatening pregnancy uh, can get an abortion because the Texas Supreme Court ruled otherwise in that case. I think you're being unfair. I think people will take solace when they're dying of sepsis in a hospital parking lot that Trump thought it was a nice even number. Trump thought it was a nice even number. And he also, he was, and he was for that exception, right? I thought that Trump was maybe flirting with no national ban at all. And that he was, he could say like, oh, it's been left to the states, And so I'm going to leave it to the states or just continue punting. And there may be some evidence that at least the campaign didn't want this story to come out because they're saying it's a fake New York Times story, but they didn't say it wasn't true. So, yeah, my that's what my read on this was, which is they do. He is not going to be saying that in public and he can be able to say deny that in public. But it also sends a message to Republicans that this is the sort of the that that after Trump came out against DeSantis and the six week ban that he views 16 weeks as what like his sort of governing position would be. Like he's basically signaling, like I'm not gonna talk about a ban on the campaign trail and I'm gonna avoid this question, or at least I'll try to as long as possible. But hey, hey, you base freaks, here's where I'm at. Seems very likely that this decision is being made with Donald Trump and his pollster and nobody else. There's no doctors in the room. There's no healthcare professionals. There's no policy people. You don't, think, he's, entirely, you don't, you don't think there's medical professionals when he's having he these no, conversations? I think he's been holding a series of uh, salons. Town sort halls. of insulting to the orthodontist at Mar-a-Lago he, he no, surely brought this up with. He has no deeply held beliefs. I mean, it is notable that this leaked now that he is pretty safely out of the primaries where people like Ron DeSantis tried to make this an issue and failed miserably, but they tried. Yeah. I mean, for Democrats purposes, and this happens to be true, Trump wants a national abortion ban. If he becomes president, very likely that the Republicans have the Senate, um, possible that the Republicans have the House. They could pass a national abortion ban. Uh, Abortion is currently outlawed in 20 states, thanks to Dobbs, which uh, Donald Trump takes credit for. And if he becomes president, he will now outlaw it in 30 other states. Even if he doesn't have a Republican Congress, he doesn't need one to ban Mifepristone. He can take an executive action that would do that all across the country. And that's where uh, 50% of abortions are done through the abortion pill, Mifepristone. So, um, yeah, pretty bad. And, and Joe Biden, if Joe Biden wins and Ruben Gallego replaces Kirsten Cinema, Democrats keep the Senate, Democrats flip the House. Those are the votes we need to get rid of the filibuster and codify Roe v. Wade. And if Donald Trump becomes president, the House and the Senate could very well move with him. And that would mean that nothing... Nothing you can do that you, that you, as we've talked about before, like, you know, one thing that happened in 2022 is abortion feeling less salient in places like New York and California made those issues less salient to voters. And it meant that we didn't lose the house in Michigan or Wisconsin. We lost the house in California and we lost the house in New York. If Donald Trump wins, and that would mean that it, it, that we lost, that we in all likelihood did not win back the house and, and probably lost the Senate. They will pass a ban that will hit New York. It will hit California. It will hit every liberal place. There will be no hiding from it. And and Tom Swazi made that point in his special election that he won in that district. So it does my remind, home district. It does remind you that in 2016, Trump did that interview with Chris Matthews where he talked about how women who got abortions illegally needed to be punished in some way. I imagine that will be front and center in all the ads about this discussion. Yeah. Uh, okay, so President Biden today said uh, there was no doubt that Putin is responsible for the death of uh, Putin's biggest critic, Alexei Navalny, who died in an Arctic prison on Friday. So Biden went out to speak about it. Nikki Haley uh, has been uh, 
posting about it, tweeting about it. She attacked Trump saying, quote, Putin did this, the same Putin who Donald Trump praises and defends. Nikki Haley, she's just uh, she's going full Full, full bulwark. Full, she's full, she's, she's, full she's bulwark. Moving, she's, she's moving on to full Lincoln project. Yeah, she's gonna. Be, yeah, she's gonna. She's gonna be sitting at that table with with Tim and Sarah and <laughs> JVL soon enough. <laughs> Same day. This was before the tragic news that Navalny died. Uh, the Biden campaign had launched a new ad hitting Donald Trump uh, for saying he'd let Putin do whatever he wants to NATO countries if they don't spend more in their own defense. So, uh, and a lot of Democrats were pointing out also that, again, Ukraine funding is being held up. So there's a lot of um, a lot of letting Putin do whatever he wants coming from the uh, the Trump MAGA establishment right now. Yeah, I mean, I, I was glad to see Biden come out and deliver a speech on this today. I mean, Alexei Navalny, for folks who don't know, he he emerged in the Russian political scene around 2008, uh, got famous internationally in around 2011 when there were big anti-Putin protests. He tried to run for president, uh, got barred uh, by the Russians. Uh, they tried to poison him while he was in prison. They poisoned him again in 2020. He nearly died. Uh, and then Alexei Navalny, he escaped uh, after being poisoned with this nerve agent. He was in Siberia on a trip. Uh, he went to Germany, got treatment, and then he came back to Russia. The most unbelievably brave, you know, courageous thing you could ever imagine, knowing full well that when he landed, he would get arrested. He'd get thrown in prison. I think he was serving out a 30-year prison sentence. The guy was living in a in a cell that was seven feet by eight feet in solitary confinement almost all the time. So just an incredibly courageous individual. Um, and uh, the biggest threat there was politically in Russia to Putin. So, you know, I think Biden probably had deeply felt beliefs about Navalny and like his character and uh, the courage he showed. Now, look, there's a lot of things Navalny's done or said in the past that like uh, I disagree with and that um, you know, wouldn't make him a liberal Democrat by any means, but he's a Russian nationalist. Uh, but so I think it was smart of Biden to come out and sort of talk about this in a principled way, but also try to use this moment to rally support for Ukraine funding. Yeah. Because just this week, there's been this weird leak out of the Hill that the Russians are working on some sort of nuclear powered weapon. Um, in space. Space no. nukes. In space. space nukes. Yeah. We tried to do a, um, a uh, quick Pod Save the World bonus YouTube on that if you want to learn more. Where? And space? Then, what? Nukes. <laughs> nukes in space. And then, you know, the the murder of Lexi Navalny. I mean, it's an odd moment for this to happen. Um, also, we got Tucker Carlson over in uh, in Russia being like, look, they got uh, they got chandeliers in the airports. This place is no, this no. place is amazing. No, Tucker was like, <laughs> we were shocked to see that Moscow has nice uh, train stations. And it's like, Moscow has famously beautiful train stations. You can buy like coffee table books, which is photos from these fucking train stations. The subways are incredible there. But anyway, I, I was glad that you see Biden try to use this moment to focus attention on Ukraine funding. He went hard at Congress for going on a two week uh, vacation recess while this you know funding is just lingering and dangling out there. So we'll see if it moves anybody. Two week recess while the Ukraine funding's out there. And also when they come back from recess, three days until the government shuts down. And uh, they don't have, they haven't figured that out either. It's always three days for the government shutdown these days. <laughs> always, always right around the corner. And by the way, if you want to know more about Alexei Navalny and his death and the global reaction, Ben Rhodes and I just filmed a special episode of Pod Save the World oh. that should be available now on the Pod Save the World feed. Where world was Ben? Do, world does never sleep. Where ben, was Ben for this? Ben was in the beating heart of the blob. He was at the Munich Security Summit. Ben, they so let him in. I just like, <laughs> I, I was like, Tommy, I'm coming to you from the Munich Security Conference. Words a person has never been happier to say on this pod. <laughs> Uh, Speaking of uh, courageous, brave dissidents. Oh, no. Joe Manchin. Oh, <laughs> I was like, well, I, I literally did not know where I we were going. There. Joe Manchin announced he won't be running for president on a third party or independent ticket. Our long national nightmare of Joe Manchin is just about over, guys. <laughs> he, we dealt with him for the first couple of years. Hey, he's, he's hey, he's, hey, hey. Retiring. Inflation Reduction Act. Katanji Brown Jackson. You forget yourself. This man saved us. He did. We love Joe. Now that we he's love not Joe running, Manchin. we love Joe. We love Manchin. Joe Manchin. That's right. Yeah, we don't want him to change his mind. Come on, good work, Joe. Joe Manchin. You you catch more houseboats with what? With the you know nice stuff. <laughs> um, nice stuff. I think at the end of the day, I sort of assumed he was too lazy to really mount a run for president, and I'm glad to see that that worked out for us all. No labels is running out of options here. Larry Hogan uh, is running for Senate, former Maryland governor. He's running for Senate there. No mansion. Uh, Haley said no. Romney said no. Huntsman basically closed the door, but eh, it said, I, I don't, I'm not interested. Sununu said no. Andrew Yang said no. Like, I don't know. I don't know how many people they have left. And 
But that, they're going to have they might so they might have ballot access in a lot of these states and no candidate, which is also uh, love that troubling. But who knows? Yeah, because who knows who might jump in at the end? You know, and you know, just a reminder that they told their donors when their donors, who you know, I'm sure are great, were like, <laughs> "Hey, but what if this spoils things and reelects Trump?" And they said, "If it gets to the point where we are not seeing polling that shows our candidate has any kind of chance, we are not going to put a candidate on the ballot." And they're running out of time. And they're running out of candidates. To, and well, they've certainly they've already run out of candidates, but they're also running out of time uh, uh, to find any way of of doing this that wouldn't obviously from the beginning and end be a spoiler. Guys, I'm making a Venn diagram. Mm. No labels, no vaccines. Uh, oh no, that's RFK, RFK Jr. In there. there we go. RFK. Well, they need a unity ticket too. That's the. Th- I mean, so who knows what like Marion Williams, Williams and baby. Oh God, Travis on, Kelsey on RFK Jr. Just update there. There have been some rumors that he is uh, trying to possibly get on the Libertarian ticket and be the Libertarian ticket nominee. The Libertarian Party is on the ballot in all 50 states, so that would be quite troubling. He's speaking at the uh, Libertarian Convention out here in California at the end of the month. That's the time. But apparently there is a, I went deep on this, apparently there's a radical faction within the Libertarian Party mm-hmm. that controls actually most of the delegates at the convention. That's how they pick their nominee. And they have decided that RFK Jr. is not Libertarian enough for them. Huh. He's okay. he's just using the ticket to try to run, which he would be. They're, uh, this is the faction that's upset that like a Gary Johnson was on the ticket, even though Gary Johnson got more votes than any other libertarian candidate this faction is pissed because they're like he's not a real libertarian so they want to go pure john you might you might find this hard to believe but uh a radical libertarian doesn't necessarily have the most cogent theory of change (laughs) yeah (laughs) Yeah, well who who's like the who's who do they want like a a ron paul type just some some no name there's a bunch of candidates already running that you you wouldn't know any of their names i don't no one knows any of their names um but they don't like rfk's efforts to own the libs basically yeah Nice. That's good. Thanks. That's, That's good. good. Yeah, that's okay. So it's now, Friday. so far, RFK Jr. is only on the ballot in Utah, and I think they have some money troubles, not just in the campaign, but in the super PAC. So, you know. Did you see the story? Yeah. Uh, RFK tell- Jr. got like a nearly $10 million contribution to this super PAC from this guy, Gavin DeBecker, who is this uh, sort of security consultant that lives in Silicon Valley, works yeah. for people like Jeff Bezos. Remember when Bezos... Uh, was in that big fight with the Inquirer over mm-hmm. his divorce and all things. Like he hired this guy to help, like uh, well, to suss out because because the because the, there's some there's some data leak. Yeah, there's, that's what they thought. So and they were like blaming the Saudis for a while. Yeah. It was weird. Anyway, this guy Gavin DeBecker, he donated like nine point something million dollars. He donated ten. And and they got, returned like, it all. Nine point six or so back. He got it all back. It was basically just a bridge loan. Like he loaned nearly ten million dollars to the super PAC and got it all and, back. It's and, the weirdest thing. And really, right? Well, so it's sort of first. It was also was it used to signal to other people that the that the organization was well funded? Like, what is the what is the purpose of that? It's not clear. I think strange. That's the, what a lot of people think was that you know there were a bunch of headlines who were like, oh my god, RFK Jr. got ten million dollars to his super PAC. He's like a real candidate now, and the guy took it all back. And is that? But uh, my question would also be like, look, we're not lawyers here, but you you get ten million dollars that you know you're returning to tell a bunch of donors how well funded you are. Then you try to get other money to put behind that money, then give that money back. Doesn't sound like not a crime. Seems a little shady. So RFK Jr. is not exactly doing well this week. A lot of good news uh, for democracy on the third party front this week. Mm-hmm. I would say that we still have to be uh, pretty vigilant and worried yeah, about sure. it. But um, between the mansion thing, the no label stuff, these you know the RFK stuff, I think you know we're in a we're in a better position than we were on the third party. Take stuff. good news. Yeah, take any good hey. news. Uh, well, then on that note. Uh, when we come back, you'll hear my interview with Elizabeth Warren. Beyonce, Katanji Brown-Jackson, the lady who spent 500 days in a cave. Women are all around us. And this Women's History Month, the Crooked Store is celebrating with a pop-up shop featuring favorites from women of color founded companies. For a limited time, the She Commerce pop-up shop has everything from delicious goodies to kids books to candles, all from small companies that we love. It is a great way to support women of color while treating a woman in your own life. Maybe that's yourself to a sweet distraction from the endless horrors that we face every single day. Happy Women's History Month to all. Check out what's in stock at crooked.com slash store for this month only. 
It's 2024. We're facing another presidential election with huge stakes. You want to help. You don't know where your money will actually make a difference or how to figure that out. Ensure you love to take an edible and not think about it, but you can't because you do care. Let Vote Save America make it easy for you with their new anxiety relief program. Here's how it works. You set up a monthly recurring donation at the level that feels right for you, and Vote Save America will send 100% of it to the grassroots organizations and down-ballot races that need it most. Then, at the end of the month, they'll tell you where your dollars went. That's it. Set it and forget it. Vote Save America has already raised $52,000 in monthly recurring donations. Love it. That's great. From over 1,000 amazing, sustaining donors who've signed up and trusted Vote Save America to make their dollar go further. But we still have a long way to go, and Vote Save America needs your help to get there. Sign up at votesaveamerica.com and enjoy your edible. <laughs> Legal disclaimer, paid for by Vote Save America, votesaveamerica.com, not authorized by any candidate or candidate's committee. Did you know that women make up 56% of law students? That's grounds for bragging rights at the dinner table for your conservative uncle who still thinks women belong in the kitchen. It's clear that the future of the legal field is female. So why are so many legal podcasts and reviews authored by men? Hi, I'm Leah Littman. I'm Kate Shaw. And with Melissa Murray, we are the hosts of Strict Scrutiny. Each week, we break down the latest headlines and biggest legal questions facing our country through the lens of diverse voices to give you expert views you won't hear anywhere else. Strict Scrutiny is your guide to the Supreme Court. New episodes drop every Monday, plus bonuses whenever the Supreme Court takes away another one of our rights. Make sure to subscribe to Strict Scrutiny wherever you get your podcasts. Joining us now is Massachusetts Senator and longtime friend of the pod, Elizabeth Warren. Senator Warren, welcome back. Oh, it's good to be at the pod. (laughs) It's good to have you here in studio. Um, So four years ago, you were running for president in a race that ended up being Biden versus Trump. That's right. That's right. Four years later, we are somehow headed for a rematch. Deja vu. Uh Uh-huh. In February of 20, the polling average had Biden beating Trump by about five points, Uh uh, which was pretty close to the final margin. Right now, the average has Trump leading by one. We got a criminal defendant who tried to overturn the last election versus a president who has presided over a pretty strong economic recovery. Yeah. What's going on? Yeah, well, you know. (laughs) How are you feeling about things right now? If you're going to ask me to explain polling, you got the wrong (laughs) guess in here. But I will say, I look, I actually feel pretty good about what's coming up. And the reason I do is the contrast is so clear. Think about this. This is like the first time in almost forever, in our lifetime, certainly, that two people are running for president, both of whom have actually been president. Mm -hmm. And so you can really get a not what are your highfalutin fancy promises. It's really what have you done? And here's where we go. Donald Trump has done, count them, two things. Big ones, big ones. An extremist Supreme Court that overturned Roe versus Wade and a giant tax break that was mostly sucked up by millionaires, billionaires, and giant corporations. So there's his record, ready to go. Okay, that's in one corner. In the other corner, you've got Joe Biden. And what's Joe Biden got to show for his time in office? Well, he's got $35 insulin and Medicare drug price negotiations for the first time. He's got canceling a lot of student loan debt. He's got, oh, getting rid of junk fees. He's got the biggest climate package in the history of the world and is paid for by my 15% tax on billionaire corporations. So to me, like, there it is. There's, it's not like there's a bunch of mush and not a nickel's worth of difference. Man, the difference is huge. The contrast is huge. And I think that's what this election is going to come down to. It's going to be that contrast. Why do you think that people, uh, all these polls show like a lot of voters look back on the Trump years and they think they didn't like a lot about it, but they think the economy was good in the Trump years. And I know that like we weren't, I know, well, at the end, clearly. And then at the end when COVID happened and, you know, they, they figure, oh, well, COVID happened all around the world. And so, of course, the economy went south. But, you know, before that, Donald Trump was uh, he was presiding over an OK economy. You know, again, I don't know. I, I can't expl- I can't explain polling. No, I mean, I, I yeah, can't. No, I, don't. I, I can't. And I can't explain how the narratives come to be. I also can't explain how sensitive are they. I'm going to now sound like the 
professor I used to be, how sensitive are they to the exact questions that get asked? Because you do get real differences in this. All I can do is do the look ahead. Mm-hmm. And the look ahead is going to be draw this contrast. We know what kind of a president Donald Trump was. And let us be clear, he has said if he gets a chance, he will be a different president. Next time around, he will be dictator on day one, not just wait until the insurrection on January 6th after four years. He will be a dictator on day one. And we know that there's this group putting together what's it called Project uh, 2025, 2025 yeah. millions of dollars to figure out how to weaponize government against political enemies, how to make government not work. Like, in effect, how to shut down the Environmental Protection Agency, how to take the legs out from underneath the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. The stuff, the kind of parts of government that are not sexy, they're Mm. not, you know, they don't get headlines most of the time when they're doing their job. But damn, they're about being able to breathe the air and drink the water. They're about not getting cheated every time you walk into a bank or you pull out your credit card. So Trump has aspirations that he's making pretty clear and pretty damn scary. Yeah. And the thing is, Biden has aspirations too. And and I give him a lot of credit. I like his aspirations. Well, well that, that brings up, I mean, I think one of the big challenges on a re-election campaign, mm-hmm. we faced this in 2012 when I was with Obama, is you have this great frustration that people, that your accomplishments haven't broken through. And a successful re-election campaign is about telling a story of where we were and then where we're going. Yep. What do you think about where we're going in terms of a story and not just like a set of policies? So I I want to be careful here because I know when I'm talking to you about this, I'm talking to the master. You know a lot more about telling a political story than I do. But here's how I see it. If I can, I would reframe slightly. I think of the story of Joe Biden is who does he fight for? And sometimes he wins those fights. Sometimes he loses those fights. But this is the motivating. This is how to understand who this human being is. And I'll give you the best example, and that is student loan debt. Mm. So, okay, so four years ago, we're running for president. He says, yeah, he, he'd do something on student loan debt, not as much as I want it, but he said he was going to do something. Yeah. He gets elected, and he kind of looks around, well, tries to figure it out. And finally, after this is important, he listens, talks to a lot of people, talks to a lot of union folks, talks to a lot of people who are getting crushed by student loan debt, talks to a lot of leaders, leaders of the NAACP, says it's a big issue because African-Americans borrow more money to go to school, borrow more money while they're in school, have a harder time paying it off when they get out. So he talks to a lot of people. He says, okay, I'm ready. I'm going big. I'm going to cancel a big chunk of student loan debt for about 43 million Americans. Shazam, right? Then the Republicans say, we're not going to let you do that. Well, the law pretty clearly says he can, uh, but the Supreme Court knocks him back and says, no, he can't. They read the word waive as not meaning you could actually cancel some debt. I mean, I'm like, really? But okay, that's what happens. Now, you know what a lot of politicians would do at that point? They would say, I tried, done. Okay, didn't work. Let's not advertise it because it didn't win. Let's... Let's just back away as quietly as we can and hope everybody forgets. Not Joe Biden. Literally, the afternoon that the Supreme Court opinion had come out in the morning, he said, so what else could we do? How else can we cancel debt? Because he had become convinced Mm. people needed help. So the question was, how can we get help to him? And now I'm going to tell you one of the many stories around this. So back in 2005... George W. Bush is president, and a bipartisan Congress passes something called Public Service Loan Forgiveness Program. Mm. You could have taken advantage of this when you were in public service. So it's anybody who works for the government. It's about public school teachers. It's about nurses and firefighters. And basically what this law says is that pay on your student loan debt, whatever is due, and after so long a period of time, so many years, if you haven't paid it off, We're just going to cancel what's left. It's our way of saying thank you for getting an education and working in public service. I love this, right? Yeah. 
up until the day that Joe Biden was sworn in as president, you know how many people had gotten student loan debt canceled under that program? How many? 7,000. Joe Biden has been president now for three years, Mm -hmm. right? You know how many people have gotten student loan debt under that program canceled over the last three years? How many? Right around 800,000. Wow. And I say right around because every single day, it's another group of people hit the right marks and get their student loan debt canceled. And I use that as just one example of that's what the guy is doing. He's picking up here. He's picking up there. Whatever tools he's got, sharpening. He's building some new tools through his Department of Education. We are now at about just a little shy of 4 million people have had their student loan debt canceled. And Joe Biden is just staying after it. So you started out by asking me the question, where's he been? Where's he going? And I was saying, this is how I think of Joe Biden. He's committed to trying to help working families. And he, when he gets focused and he finds the families who needs help, he's going to stay after it until he gets the job done. And that's what he's doing right now on student loans and a whole bunch of other stuff. So... What um he's got the State of the Union coming up. Mm-hmm. It's his chance to sort of lay out a potential agenda for a second term. What do you want to hear from him in the State of the Union? Well, I want him to take credit for all the things he's done. It's a good night. You yeah. know this. Yeah, You've yeah. written that speech, right? It's a good night to be able to talk about that. Look, I want him to talk about the things with real ambition that our country needs to do. Can I put in a big pitch here? Sure. Universal child care. Mm. Um uh, when you line up the world's richest nations, you know where we are and how much we spend per child on helping take care Pretty of well. our little children? We are number 33. I mean, when's the last time you heard a cheer, a big bunch of people say, we're number 33, right? This is, this is an embarrassment that most all the nations of the world spend more on their children. And why do they do that? Well, first of all, if you want mamas and daddies to be able to go to work, do I need to say this to the parent of two say, young children? I always supported child care as a good Democrat. Now that I'm a parent of you have two young children, I'm like, oh, my God. Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that is exactly the right way to look at this. Oh, my God. If we want parents to be able to go into the workforce, then we need to provide child care. But I'll give you a second reason. And that is if we want children to have good learning experiences. Mm. We've come to understand that childcare is also early childhood education. In fact, what the data show is that parents who can afford it, even if they have a stay-at-home parent, will put children in some kind of group setting um, for starting very, very young. Why? Because good for brain development, all those colors and sounds and noises and pictures and all the things that are going on. So that's the second reason, but there is a third reason. And that is we have taken advantage of our childcare workforce for too damn long. Um, Mostly, these are women, mostly these are black and brown women who do this work and they are paid nowhere near a living wage and nowhere, nowhere near the kind of responsibilities that they take on. So it is time as a nation for us to say that just in the same way that we invest in highways so that people can get to work, and in the same ways that we invest in electricity and clean water so that all those businesses can run, we need employees to be able to get to work, and that means we need to invest in child care all across this country, available for every parent available, affordable, high quality. And I'm in and I want to hear the president talk about it. Are you listening, Joe Biden? I, I, that's, I know he's a fan. So <laughs> yeah, I know listen. he is. Uh, let's talk about Congress, which seems like it must be a uh, hell of a good time right now. Oh, uh, you bet. <laughs> Nothing. That party on. You know, it's I'm telling you. So, so Trump, Johnson, some Senate Republicans killed the bipartisan border national security yeah. deal. I believe you were one of five Senate Democrats who also voted against Mm -hmm. that bill. Mm -hmm. What was your thinking there on the... So look, the Republicans had already killed it. Mm. And they had said there will be no border deal. But I just want to 
put in my stick here that I don't want that border bill to be the basis for the next round Mm. of negotiation. We need more security and more resources at the border. We also need a path to citizenship. And I just want to keep shoving both of those on the table at the same time. So you then supported uh, a bill that's out there now that's just waiting for a vote in the House that's only foreign aid for Ukraine, Israel, Taiwan, humanitarian aid for Ukrainians and Palestinians. Mike Johnson won't give that a vote either. Is there a plan? What's the next plan? (laughs) What's the strategy to get that done? So 218. Um, a discharge petition, let's get really wonky because I love your I know, audience because we really can. These are people who say, yeah, 218, <laughs> baby. Um, 218, if we can get 218 votes in favor of this bill, you can do a discharge petition in the House and it doesn't matter that Mike Johnson won't put it on the floor. We can go ahead and pass it and I think Joe Biden will sign it into law. That takes a while, right? The discharge petition? Yeah. It's like a cumbersome long process. It's com- yes. Is it a pain? Would it be better? But it will happen. Johnson will put it on the floor. And look, if he's getting, you know, it's a, you sign your name literally on a petition. Yeah. He may start counting those. He, he may be struggling to learn how to count votes. Yeah. We Seems learned. like it. Yes. Seems like it. But he may look at a lot of names on that petition and say that he's he's ready to go. Three other uh, Senate Democrats voted against the foreign aid bill. Uh, Bernie Sanders said, I'll be damned if I'm going to give another nickel to the Netanyahu government. You've called for a ceasefire in Gaza. You've been very critical of Netanyahu's military operation there. What made you feel comfortable voting for that? Comfortable over states. But this is a hard time. So let me back it up just a tiny little bit as we think about this moment. So there's a terrorist attack on Israel. Uh, About 1,200 people are killed. Hostages are taken. There are still more than 100 hostages held in Gaza. And the Netanyahu government and uh, his right-wing cronies on that government have killed probably, best estimate is, nearly 30,000 people. Uh, the majority of whom women, children, civilians. Um, And so this has got to stop. This has got to stop. This is a moral issue. Um, It's also an issue of how to build a future for the people of the region. So the way I think about this is that I had started a long time talking about conditioning aid to Israel. When I say a long time, I mean years ago. Yeah. Um, and also working on questions about uh, uh, protection of civilians in war zones. It, it was not focused on Gaza and Israel. It was focused in other parts of the world. But um, I, I worked with Senator Van Hollen and, uh, and others to put together an amendment that said any money that goes out is... Uh, is going to have conditions put on it. And um, we built up enough Democrats. This is kind of the nuts and bolts of how you get things done. We got altogether a couple of dozen Democrats, not as many as I'd like, but it's a whole lot more than three of us, uh, Democrats to say, I'm willing to co-sponsor, I will definitely vote for conditioning aid. The White House saw that. We engaged in some negotiations. And last Thursday, President Biden put in writing that aid to all nations that use military assistance from the United States would be conditioned on two things. Uh, One is care for civilian life in the middle of conflict. And the other is not blocking access to humanitarian relief. And then he followed that up also in writing with saying that any place that is engaged in a conflict uh, within every 90 days, that nation must certify that it meets both of those conditions and that if it fails to report at all or fails to certify in a way that our Secretary of State certifies is credible, that nation can lose aid. This is a big deal. It's a big deal because while America's talked about for a long time that we condition aid, some people use that language I have for a long time, condition it on 
countries that are working consistent with our values. We've never been this explicit about it and never had these pinch point moments, Mm. 90 days, and you've got to come up with it in writing, and then somebody's got to certify that what you said is right. Does that guarantee we get everywhere we need to go? No, but it is a significant shift in U.S. policy. Now, it only matters if there's real oversight, Um, and this is something I commit to, and there are others I know for certain in the Senate that are committed to this, to making certain that we follow through on these conditions to make sure they are met. And so with the with the aid to Ukraine, which I think is just critically important, um, I felt like that this was this was moving our government in the right direction, and that's what I wanted to do. Did you know that women make up 56% of law students? That's grounds for bragging rights at the dinner table for your conservative uncle who still thinks women belong in the kitchen. It's clear that the future of the legal field is female. So why are so many legal podcasts and reviews authored by men? Hi, I'm Leah Littman. I'm Kate Shaw. And with Melissa Murray, we are the hosts of Strict Scrutiny. Each week, we break down the latest headlines and biggest legal questions facing our country through the lens of diverse voices to give you expert views you won't hear anywhere else. Strict Scrutiny is your guide to the Supreme Court. New episodes drop every Monday, plus bonuses whenever the Supreme Court takes away another one of our rights. Make sure to subscribe to Strict Scrutiny wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Erin Ryan, a writer and host of the podcast Hysteria. And I'm Alyssa Mastromonaco, former White House Deputy Chief of Staff and also a host of Hysteria. And this week, we were asked to talk about Women's History Month. And on behalf of women everywhere, okay, fine. Our show, Hysteria, is about the way news and culture impacts women in America every week of the year. From the latest on reproductive rights to the ways pop culture handles women's stories. And not just because it's March, okay? We exist the other 11 months of the year, too. What? Don't... (laughs) Uh, You heard it here first. Don't even get us started on our exclusive YouTube series, This Fucking Guy, where we try to figure out how the worst people in America got to be so awful. So if you're looking for a pod that's by the ladies and for everyone, make sure to subscribe to Hysteria wherever you get your podcasts. Beyonce, Katanji Brown Jackson, the lady who spent 500 days in a cave. Women are all around us. And this Women's History Month, the Crooked Store is celebrating with a pop-up shop featuring favorites from women of color founded companies. For a limited time, the SheCommerce pop-up shop has everything from delicious goodies to kids books to candles, all from small companies that we love. It is a great way to support women of color while treating a woman in your own life. Maybe that's yourself to a sweet distraction from the endless horrors that we face every single day. Happy Women's History Month to all. Check out what's in stock at crooked.com slash store for this month only. So obviously, President Biden, beyond aid, uh, President Biden has been reportedly criticizing Netanyahu uh, in private. Uh, We've heard a little bit of criticism in public the other week when he said that uh, the military response was over the top. But uh, he hasn't been more forthcoming publicly. And clearly Netanyahu is not listening to any of this criticism, whether it's private or public. Do you think uh, the president, our president, needs to uh, change tactics here? You know, I just want to underscore how truly awful Prime Minister Netanyahu has been. That for a long time now, uh, he has promised Israel's security uh, and when the attacks came on October 7th, uh, he put together a right-wing cabinet uh, that has had a response that has created a humanitarian crisis unlike anything we've seen in modern times. Um, and In doing this, he has pulled away from every opportunity, both my view on it is to 
to negotiate, to keep his focus on getting back the hostages. Mm. I've met with hostage families. I've talked with Massachusetts families who have um, friends and relatives who are held hostage. He has moved that out of the spotlight Mm. and engaged in bombing in civilian areas, uh, bombing that would kill tens of thousands over time, tens of thousands of civilians, women and children. Um, But the, the biggest problem now is that the way out of this, the way forward is something he has already rejected. How how do we have, how does how do they have a Middle East that's peaceful? The answer is two states, two states for two people, where people can live with dignity and security, uh, uh, self-determination. And this is something the United States has supported since uh, uh, the 1940s. It's something Joe Biden has reiterated just in recent days. And Netanyahu has said flatly no. And I think the real issue worth focusing on is whose interests is Netanyahu serving? Mm. Um, I understand that if he's not prime minister, um, he's subject to personal uh, legal problems. Uh, and that um, he, the Israeli people, good people, and Palestinian people, good people, deserve a national leader who wants to help build bridges for peace for all of them. And if Benjamin Netanyahu is not there, then the Israeli people deserve a better leader. And what about President Biden? It, President Biden will find his own way to press that, but I know that he strongly believes in a two-state solution and is committed to finding that path and finding it as quickly as humanly possible. Would you like him to push a little harder on Netanyahu publicly? Uh, uh, look... I will push on (laughs) Benjamin Netanyahu as much as I can. And I think we all should. This was part of the conversation we had about conditioning aid. Mm. Benjamin Netanyahu does not get a blank check. And the American people are not going to stand by while he bombs more Palestinian civilians, more Palestinian babies. We will not. And the sooner Netanyahu understands that, Mm. the sooner we can start building toward safety and security and self-determination and respect and dignity for both Israelis and for Palestinians. You uh, have a bill to crack down on people who use crypto to launder money. I do. Hamas has raised over $130 million in crypto to fund their operation. How's that going? What are the chances that passes? So let me just remind everybody how this one works. So think about it this way. Everybody knows a little about what crypto is now works. There are kind of two areas where you could have problems. One is you can have problems because the crypto exchanges don't have enough cash to back it up. And, you know, you get cheated in a rug pull or a a pump and dump, you know, the things that happened on Wall Street 100 years ago. That's what the regulators take care of. That's the SEC, the CFTC. Over on the law enforcement side, though, there's something else, and that is money laundering. It's called using crypto as a way to pay for bad stuff. So China, for example, uh, there are about 90 companies in China that export Uh, fentanyl precursor drugs to Mexico to be mixed into fentanyl. How do they get paid? Crypto. Um, Rogue nations, North Korea right now, about half of its missile program, it's paying for using illicit crypto. Uh, Hamas um, gets part of its funding through crypto. Uh, So does Hezbollah. Uh, uh, Iran and Russia are using crypto 
to evade sanctions. Oh, here's one for you. Uh, you know ransomware. You mm, know yeah. You know what that is. Do you know what portion of ransomware is paid for through crypto? Most of it? 100%. Wow. Yeah, the, the business model doesn't work without crypto. So here's the deal. We have a set of what are called money laundering rules. It's the Bank Secrecy Act. And it's just a set of rules about how we try to keep criminal money out of the banking system, make it hard for them to be able to to use their ill-gotten gains to buy things. Um, so um, we have that those laws apply, same laws to banks, to credit unions, to credit card companies, to gold traders, uh, to stock brokers, to precious metal dealers, uh, uh, to Venmo, to uh, Western Union, right? Name yeah. me another, name me another, <laughs> uh, PayPal, but not to crypto. Um, so there are all these gaps in the system when it comes to crypto. And the consequence of that is that crypto has become the place to go for the drug traffickers, the human traffickers, the the rogue nations, the terrorists. And what I want to do is just go back. This is a law enforcement issue and a national security issue and say, let's just stitch up those holes so the same rules that apply to your checking account also apply to crypto. And by the way, bipartisan bill, Democrats and Republicans, yeah. and we've got 20 senators on it right now. That's pretty good. That is I pretty good. Run into the House roadblock again. But well, well it's not just the House roadblock. It's there are some crypto folks who have yeah, giant buckets of money to spend. And so they hire this lobbying army to go out. And, and here's the thing. There's no money on the not drug trafficker side. There's yeah. there's not like this big lobby for not rogue nations. <laughs> Anti-money laundering. Yes, the yeah. anti, well, you know, there's just <laughs> nothing. There's no big political action committee on this and, all, and an army of lobbyists and lawyers. And what I watch here, John, reminds me, back, you remember back in the run-up to 2008 and when the banks crashed, mm ultimately crashed our economy. They always kept saying two things. They said two things over and over and over. They said, well, <clears throat> I would explain to you these subprime mortgages and these derivatives, but it's just too complicated, too hard for you to understand, right? It's too complex. And then they would say, and it's too complex to regulate. You, uh, you can't regulate, right? You got to leave what us. what you're hearing with crypto now. And that's what you hear with crypto now. You know, that anyone who thinks maybe they ought to have to follow the same rules as every other yeah. uh, uh, money system, they say, no, it's too complicated. You clearly don't understand it. And it's too complicated to regulate. And you know what? Not so. Well, your push to regulate it has it seemingly attracted a potential challenger to you in your Senate race. I hear that there's a Republican crypto enthusiast who might jump in the race. Uh, that could mean a flood of money from crypto super PACs, like the one attacking uh, Katie Porter here in the California Senate race. Thoughts? Well, let me start actually with Katie. Yeah. You know, because she give me a chance to do this. I'm not at all surprised that corporate money comes after Katie. It may be of one flavor or another, but look at what Katie has done. Here she is. She came in, she turned a red seat to blue, yeah. right, in Orange County. And then, my gosh, she went to the House of Representatives and she did her job. She held people accountable. I love it. Uh, for anyone who doesn't remember, uh, just just uh, Google Katie Porter, Jamie Dimon. When she fried his little fanny <laughs> after he had made some remark in the press a few days before the hearing about how, well, people just need to budget better. And she took him through budgeting for a J.P. Morgan Chase employee. And, uh, you know, that's Katie. Katie got, uh, uh, got uh, free uh, testing kits during COVID. You know, she just puts people on the spot. She is so good at what she does. And that's a part... Here's the deal, John. It's what we see forever. 
And that is the corporate money gets together and says, we're taking out that one. We're taking out that one. And we're going to support the people, the corporatists. We're going to support the people who who are going to get in there and fall into line. And, yeah, they may say they are you know, all for the people, but we know they're really going to watch out for us. It was true 12 years ago right now mm. when I got in my Senate race. You know, here I was, somebody who'd never been in politics. I got in that Senate race, and I still remember one of the things I read was that my opponent, there was a statement that Wall Street had said they would open their checkbooks and spend any amount of money needed <laughs> to make sure that that woman, uh, that's me, uh, never made it to the United States Senate. But here's the thing, John. That was 12 years ago. Yeah, it still happens. They still spend obscene amounts of money. But the world has changed. We fight back. We do small-dollar donations. I don't take, Katie and I both, we don't take corporate PAC money. We don't do any of that sort of thing. But you can build enough to fight back, and I love it. Yeah. I want to end with uh, an issue that you've been uh, working on lately, weed. Uh, yeah. You and other Democratic senators recently asked the Biden administration to remove marijuana from the Controlled Substances yep. Act entirely, yep. which would decriminalize it on a federal level. Yep. Have you heard back from DOJ or DEA or had any conversations with the administration about this? OK, so uh, administration, I won't talk about private conversations, sure. but um, uh, it was a DEA. wink. It was a wink for those of you listening. Into uh, an audio uh, format. Uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> DEA. Um, we're pushing on them now. I want them to deschedule marijuana altogether. And and look, just for anybody, since we're talking to our wonky friends out there, mm-hmm. it, look, if the Republicans didn't block us, we'd run this through Congress. And you just legalize it. Hello? But the Republicans block us on this. Right now, marijuana is a Schedule One drug, which means it's scheduled right up there with heroin and cocaine. That means it has already been proven, this is what's supposed to be the case before it gets Schedule 1, that it has no medicinal value, no help to anyone under any circumstances, and you can't run tests on it. You can't, like, see how it works, and does it work better for pain relief, for, you know, for anxiety, uh, for PTSD? Mm. If we just deschedule it, look, there still could be regulations around it, like there is around alcohol. You've got to be a certain age. You've got to have certain disclosures about the potency and so on. I'm all for that. But I really want to say to the DEA, guys, come on. Yeah. It is not 1958. Yeah. You know? yeah. And, and um, we don't need to be terrified of this stuff. Let's just deschedulize it. And go forward. And we, th- you think that the administration or the DEA c- has the power to do that without an act yes, of Congress? Yes, they do. They clearly have the power. They are the ones who are responsible for scheduling. And it's just, it's the classic. We're doing this all the time now. In places where the Republicans are blocking us in Congress, mm. then we're moving forward on the other side. Yeah. We're moving forward in um, uh, and trying to do what we can administratively. One, uh, one last important uh, question on this issue that comes from our team here at Pod Save America. Okay, I'm ready. I'm going to give you a list of people, uh-huh. and we'd love for you to pick four of them as your dream blunt rotation. <laughs> for those who aren't familiar, a dream blunt rotation is a group of people you'd hypothetically like to smoke weed with uh-huh. because they'd be really fun time. Okay. Hypothetically. Okay. Hypo- so all I'm really telling you, this has nothing to do with weed. Just in, yeah, this if is you just were someone who do you think is fun? These are people you'd go get pedicures with. This right. is what you're telling me. Right. I'm just making sure I'm right. following this. Okay. Edibles, pedicure, okay. the whole thing. I'm, I'm ready. Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, Bernie Sanders, Janet Yellen, Ed Markey, The Rock, Nancy oh, Pelosi. Yeah, I know oh, you I'm have... stopping there. I'm just doing The Rock four times. Can rock I stop there? Uh, yeah. I had Nancy Pelosi, Snoop Dogg, Chuck Schumer, and Taylor Swift. Uh, I'm to... still at The Rock. Just The Rock. <laughs> just The Rock. You and The Rock. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that, four that, times, that, That's totally it's fine. The same thing. All right. Now, unfortunately, you have to pick your nightmare blunt rotation. Nightmare. So, of course, this is the worst group Ni- of people imaginable. Okay. Nightmare for sitting there while we're doing a pedicure. And this is, okay, yeah. And, and these are just the most annoying four people that you can imagine sitting there smoking weed with. Okay, I'm ready. Elon Musk, yes. Ted Cruz, Jerome <laughs> yeah, oh, Powell. Oh, oh, Lord. <laughs> Mike Bloomberg, uh, Mitch McConnell, Mark Zuckerberg, Marianne Williamson, oh, Peter I'm, Thiel, and Jamie Dimon. I'm starting to feel a little sick. <laughs> <laughs> that 
is really awful to contemplate. I know. You really know I've how really... to show a girl a good time. Just... Oh, I Lord. had to put together a list just for you. <laughs> yeah, on that. thanks a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, no. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. I was, gonna, I was, I had done it at the first one. I'm just done. gonna go back to the rock. Yeah, uh, mm-hmm. Elizabeth Warren. Thank you so much, <laughs> as always, for joining, for being wonky, for being fun. We appreciate it. Oh, it's so much fun to be here with you. Take care. Thanks. If you want to get ad-free episodes, exclusive content, and more, consider joining our Friends of the Pod subscription community at crooked.com/friends. And if you're already doom scrolling, don't forget to follow us at Pod Save America on Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube for access to full episodes, bonus content, and more. Plus, if you're as opinionated as we are, consider dropping us a review. Pod Save America is a Crooked Media production. Our show is produced by Olivia Martinez and David Toledo. Our associate producers are Saul Rubin and Farah Safari. Kira Wakim is our senior producer. Reed Churlin is our executive producer. The show is mixed and edited by Andrew Chadwick. Jordan Cantor is our sound engineer with audio support from Kyle Seglin and Charlotte Landis. Writing support by Hallie Kiefer. Madeline Herringer is our head of news and programming. Matt DeGroat is our head of production. Andy Taft is our executive assistant. Thanks to our digital team, Elijah Cohn, Haley Jones, Mia Kelman, David Tolls, Kirill Pelaviv, and Molly Lobel. 